Happy New Year to everyone who uses the Gregorian calendar. I am a Buddhist living in Japan. Buddhism also has its own calendar. But Buddhists themselves don't use it very often. Usually, we use the calendar of the country in which we live. Living in Tokyo, I live according to the Gregorian calendar. By the way, in Japan, we are supposed to use a calendar that counts the number of years since the current emperor ascended the throne. People have to memorize two calendars. I use three calendars, including the Buddhist calendar. It is quite difficult. Now, let's listen to Buddha Nature. Buddha Nature among humans there are many kinds and degrees of mentality, some are wise, some are foolish, some are good-natured, some are bad-tempered, some are easily led, some are difficult to dead, some possess pure minds and some have minds that are defiled, but these differences are negligible when it comes to the attainment of enlightenment. The world is like a lotus pond filled with many varieties of the plant, there are blossoms of many different tints. Some are white, some pink, some blue, some yellow, some grow underwater, some spread their leaves on the water, and some raise their leaves above the water. Mankind has many more differences. There is the difference of sex, but it is not an essential difference, for, with proper training, both men and women may attain enlightenment. To be a trainer of elephants, one must possess five qualification, good health, confidence, diligence, sincerity of purpose, and wisdom. To follow the Buddha's noble path to enlightenment, one must have the same five good qualities. If one has these qualities, then regardless of gender, it is possible to attain enlightenment. It need not take long to learn Buddha's teaching, for all humans possess a nature that has an affinity for enlightenment. In the practice of the way to enlightenment, people see the Buddha with their own eyes and believe in Buddha with their own minds. The eyes that see Buddha and the mind that believes in Buddha are the same eyes and the same mind that, until that day, had wandered about in the world of birth and death. If a king is plagued by bandits, he must find out where their camp is before he can attack them. So, when a man is beset by worldly passions, he should first ascertain their origins. When a man is in a house and opens his eyes he will first notice the interior of the room and only later will he see the view outside the windows. In like manner we cannot have the eye notice external things before there is recognition by the eye of the things in the house. If there is a mind within the body, it out first to know the things inside the body, but generally people are interested in external things and seem to know or care little for the things within the body. If the mind is located outside the body, it should not be in contact with the needs of the body. But, in fact, the body feels what the mind knows, and the mind knows what the body feels. Therefore, it cannot be said that the human mind is outside of the body. Where, then, does the substance of the mind exist? From the unknown past, being conditioned by their own deeds and deluded by two fundamental misconceptions, people have wandered about in ignorance. First, they believed that the discriminating mind, which lies at the root of this life or birth and death, was their real nature, and, second, they did not know that, hidden behind the discriminating mind, they possessed a pure mind of enlightenment which is their true nature. When a man closes his fist and raises his arm, the eyes see it and the mind discriminates it, but the mind that discriminates it is not the true mind. The discriminating mind is only a mind for the discrimination of imagined differences that greed and other moods relating to the self have created. The discriminating mind is subject to causes and conditions, it is empty of any self-substance, and it is constantly changing. But, 
Since people believe that this mind is their real mind, the delusion enters into the causes and conditions that produce suffering. A man opens his hand and the mind perceives it, but what is it that moves? Is it the mind, or is it the hand, or is it neither of them? If the hand moves, then the mind moves accordingly, and vice versa, but the moving mind is only a superficial appearance of mind, it is not the true and fundamental mind. Fundamentally, everyone has a pure clean mind, but it is usually covered by the defilement and dust of worldly desires which have arisen from one's circumstances. This defiled mind is not of the essence of one's nature, something has been added, like an intruder or even a guest in a home, but not its host. The mood is often hidden by clouds, but it is not moved by them and its purity remains untarnished. Therefore, people must not be deluded into thinking that this defiled mind is their own true mind. They must continually remind themselves of this fact by striving to awaken within themselves the pure and unchanging fundamental mind of enlightenment. Being caught by a changing, defiled mind and being deluded by their own perverted ideas, they wander about in a world of delusion. The disturbances and defilements of the human mind are aroused by greed as well as by its reactions to the changing circumstances. The mind that is not disturbed by things as they occur, that remains pure and tranquil under all circumstances, is the true mind and should be the master. We cannot say that an inn disappears just because the guest is out of sight, neither can we say that the true self has disappeared when the defiled mind which has been aroused by the changing circumstances of life has disappeared. That which changes with changing conditions is not the true nature of mind. Let us think of a lecture hall that is bright while the sun is shining but is dark after the sun goes down. We can think of the light departing with the sun and the dark coming with the night, but we cannot so think of the mind that perceives lightness and darkness. The mind that is susceptible to lightness and darkness cannot be given back to anybody, it can only revert to a truer nature which is its fundamental nature. It is only a, temporary, mind that momentarily notes changes of lightness and darkness as the sun rises and sets. It is only a, temporary, mind that has different feelings from moment to moment with the changing circumstances of life, it is not the real and true mind. The fundamental and true mind which realizes the lightness and the darkness is the true nature of man. The temporary feelings of good and evil, love and hatred, that have been aroused by surroundings and changing external conditions, are only momentary reactions that have their cause in the defilement accumulated by the human mind. Behind the desires and worldly passions which the mind entertains, there abides, clear and undefiled, the fundamental and true essence of mind. Water is round in a round receptacle and square in a square one, but water itself has no particular shape. People often forget this fact. People see this good and that bad, they like this and dislike that, and they discriminate existence from non-existence, and then, being caught in these entanglements and becoming attached to them, they suffer. If people would only give up their attachments to these imaginary and false discriminations, and restore the purity of their original minds, then both their mind and their body would be free from defilement and suffering, they would know the peacefulness that comes with that freedom. We have spoken of the pure and true mind as being fundamental, it is the Buddha nature, that is, the seed of Buddhahood. One can get fire if one holds a lens between the sun and moksha, but where does the fire come from? The lens is at an enormous distance from the sun, but the fire certainly appears upon the moksha by means of the lens. But if the moksha would not have the nature to kindle, there would be no fire. In like manner, if the light of Buddha's wisdom is concentrated upon the human mind, its true nature, which is Buddhahood, will be enkindled, and its light will illuminate the minds of the people with its brightness, and will awaken faith in Buddha. He holds the lens of wisdom before all human minds and thus their faith may be quickened.
Often people disregard the affinity of their true minds for Buddha's enlightened wisdom, and, because of it, are caught by the entanglement of worldly passions, becoming attached to the discrimination of good and evil, and then lament over their bondage and suffering. Why is it that people, possessing this fundamental and pure mind, should still cling to illusions and doom themselves to wander about in a world of delusion and suffering, covering their own Buddha nature while all about them is the light of Buddha's wisdom? Once upon a time a man looked into the reverse side of a mirror and, not seeing this face and head, he became insane. How unnecessary it is for a man to become insane merely because he carelessly looks into the reverse side of a mirror. It is just as foolish and unnecessary for a person to go on suffering because he does not attain enlightenment where he expects to find it. There is no failure in enlightenment, the failure lies in those people who, for a long time, have sought enlightenment in their discriminating minds, not realizing that theirs are not true minds but are imaginary minds that have been caused by the accumulation of greed and illusion covering and hiding their true mind. If the accumulation of false beliefs is cleared away, enlightenment will appear. But, strange enough, when people attain enlightenment, they will realize that without false beliefs there could be no enlightenment. Buddha nature is not something that comes to an end. Though wicked men should be born beasts or hungry demons, or fall into hell, they never lose their Buddha nature. However buried in the defilement of flesh or concealed at the root of worldly desires and forgotten it may be, the human affinity for Buddhahood is never completely extinguished. There is an old story told of a man who fell into a drunken sleep. His friend stayed by him as long as he could but, being compelled to go and fearing that he might be in want, the friend hid a jewel in the drunken man's garment. When the drunken man recovered, not knowing that his friend had hid a jewel in his garment, he wandered about in poverty and hunger. A long time afterwards the two men met again and the friend told the poor man about the jewel and advised him to look for it. Like the drunken man of the story, people wander about suffering in this life of birth and death, unconscious of what is hidden away in their inner nature, pure and untarnished, the priceless treasure of Buddha nature. However unconscious people may be of the fact that everyone has within his possession this supreme nature, and however degraded and ignorant they may be, Buddha never loses faith in them because he knows that even in the least of them there are, potentially, all the virtues of Buddhahood. So Buddha awakens faith in them who are deceived by ignorance and cannot see their own Buddha nature, leads them away from their illusions and teaches them that originally there is no difference between themselves and Buddhahood. Buddha is one who has attained Buddhahood and people are those who are capable of attaining Buddhahood, that is all the difference that lies between them. But if a man thinks that he has attained enlightenment, he is deceiving himself, for, although he may be moving in that direction, he has not yet reached Buddhahood. Buddha nature does not appear without diligent and faithful effort, nor is the task finished until Buddhahood is attained. Once upon a time a king gathered some blind men about an elephant and asked them to tell him what an elephant was like. The first man felt a tusk and said an elephant was like a giant carrot, another happened to touch an ear and said it was like a big fan, another touched its trunk and said it was like a pestle, still another, who happened to feel its leg, said it was like a rope. Not one of them was able to tell the king the elephant's real form. In like manner, one might partially describe the nature of man but would not be able to describe the true nature of a human being, the Buddha nature. There is only one possible way by which the everlasting nature of man, his Buddha nature, that cannot be disturbed by worldly desires or destroyed by death, can be realized, and that is by the Buddha and the Buddha's noble teaching. We have been speaking of Buddha nature as though it were something that could be described, as though it were similar to the soul of other teachings, but it is not. The concept of an ego personality is something that has been imagined by a discriminating mind which first grasped it and then become attached to it, but which must abandon it.
On the contrary, Buddha nature is something indescribable that must first be discovered. In one sense, it resembles an ego personality, but it is not the ego in the sense of I am or mine. To believe in the existence of an ego is an erroneous belief that supposes the existence of non-existence, to deny Buddha nature is wrong, for it supposes that existence is non-existence. This can be explained in a parable. A mother rook her sick child to a doctor. The doctor gave the child medicine and instructed the mother not to nurse the child until the medicine was digested. The mother anointed her breast with something bitter so that the child would keep away from her of his own volition. After the medicine had time enough to be digested, the mother cleansed her breast and let the child suck her. The mother took this method of saving her child out of kindness because she loved the child. Like the mother in the parable, Buddha, in order to remove misunderstanding and to break up attachments to an ego personality, denies the existence of an ego, and when the misunderstanding and attachments are done away with, then he explains the reality of the true mind that is the Buddha nature. Attachment to an ego personality leads people into delusions, but faith in their Buddha nature leads them to enlightenment. It is like the woman in a story to whom a chest was bequeathed. Not knowing that the chest contained gold, she continued to live in poverty until another person opened it and showed her the gold. Buddha opens the minds of people and shows them the purity of their Buddha nature. If everyone has this Buddha nature, why is there so much suffering from people cheating one another or killing one another? And why are there so many distinctions of rank and wealth, rich and poor? There is a story of a wrestler who used to wear an ornament on his forehead of a precious stone. One time when he was wrestling the stone was crushed into the flesh of his forehead. He thought he had lost the gem and went to a surgeon to have the wound dressed. When the surgeon came to dress the wound he found the gem embedded in the flesh and covered over with blood and dirt. He held up a mirror and showed the stone to the wrestler. Buddha nature is like the precious stone of this story. It becomes covered over by the dirt and dust of other interests and people think that they have lost it, but a good teacher recovers it again for them. Buddha nature exists in everyone no matter how deeply it may be covered over by greed, anger and foolishness, or buried by his own deeds and retribution. Buddha nature cannot be lost or destroyed, and when all defilements are removed, sooner or later it will reappear. Like the wrestler in the story who was shown the gem buried in his flesh and blood by means of a mirror, so people are shown their Buddha nature, buried beneath their worldly desires and passions, by means of the light of Buddha. Buddha nature is always pure and tranquil no matter how varied the conditions and surroundings of people may be. Just as milk is always white regardless of the color of the cow's hide, either red, white, or black, so it does not matter how differently their deeds may condition people's life or what different effects may follow their acts and thoughts. There is a fable told in India of a mysterious medical herb that was hidden under the tall grasses of the Himalayas. For a long time men sought for it in vain, but at last a wise man located it by its sweetness. As long as the wise man lived he collected this medical herb in a tub, but after his death, the sweet elixir remained hidden in some far-off spring in the mountains, and the water in the tub turned sour and harmful and of a different taste. In like manner Buddha nature is hidden away beneath the wild growth of worldly passions and can rarely be discovered, but Buddha found it and revealed it to the people, and as they received it by their varying faculties it tastes differently to each person. The diamond, the hardest known substances, cannot be crushed. Sand and stones can be ground to powder but diamonds remain unscathed. Buddha nature is like the diamond, and thus cannot be broken. Human nature, both its body and mind, will wear away, but the nature of Buddhahood cannot be destroyed. Buddha nature is, indeed, the most excellent characteristic of human nature. 
Buddha teaches that, although in human nature there may be endless varieties such as men and women, there is no discrimination with regard to Buddha nature. Pure gold is procured by melting ore and removing all impure substances. If people would melt the ore of their minds and remove all the impurities of worldly passion and egoism, they would all recover the same pure Buddha nature. Thanks for listening. This passage from the podcast was excerpted and edited from Teachings of the Buddha, published by Bukkyo Dendo Kyoke. The name means Buddhist Missionary Association in Japanese and has an office in Minato-ku, Tokyo. They own the copyright of this English translation of Buddhist scriptures. You will have access to Buddhist scriptures translated into languages from around the world. This is the unofficial channel of the association. Next time we will listen to Buddhas, troubles and worries. Let's make 2023 a good year. Goodbye. See you later.